everybody. How's it going? Welcome to another episode of JU Israel, the Teacher's Lounge, where we keep you in touch with what's going on in Israel and hopefully give you some insight uh, behind the headlines. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, and I'm here as always with co-host Alan Goldman. How's it going, Alan? It's going good, Mike. You look a little tired. Yeah, you look a little tired. I'm looking at you on Skype. Yeah. So you can tell that from the audio. This is a Skype episode. Uh, why are you so tired? I mean, like, what's going on in your life that you're feeling so drained? I just got back from Poland with TVA. Wah, wah, wah! No, I knew that. I'm doing that. I pretend not to know things thing on podcasts because it's so entertaining. Um, uh, I don't know if it's that entertaining. I don't think it is at all. That's why I stopped listening to uh, Radiolab. No offense, Radiolab. Ooh, Radiolab slam. Uh, Okay, so the topic for today is going to be Poland and its relationship with Israel and the Jews. But can you, before we talk about um, the new law, can you just sort of give us a a sense of, uh, give our listeners a sense of what it is that you do when you go to Poland with schools and students and such? Oh, well. Uh, So um, I go as, I personally go as an educator with, um, I would call it heritage tours as opposed to those are like, oh, you go to the camps and things, it's like a Holocaust tour. I prefer to call it that we're going to um, to really learn about Jewish life in Poland, which is about thousand, which would last for about a thousand years. About a thousand years ago, Jews got to Poland, um, and <clears throat> the vast um, uh, civilization that Jews developed in Poland, and of course, the tragic years of the Holocaust between 1939 and 1945. Um, that's only a very small story. Of course, it's an overpowering and overwhelming story because it, you know, was very disruptive and made cataclysmic changes in the Jewish world. But um, Jews were there for a thousand years and had created much, much life. And something like 75 percent of Ashkenazi Jews have their roots in Poland. Um, so it has really shaped the, the Polish experience for Jews has really shaped um, modern, the modern Jewish world. And that's we go to. To learn about it, we do that by visiting different communities, um, and of course, also going to sites where great tragedies happen, particularly in the Holocaust. Um, when we go to different communities, since today mo- those communities really don't exist anymore, Jewish communities. So we go to the main Jewish institutions that have kind of survived or didn't, but you know, or at least physical some, structures, the sub-physical remnant. Exactly. So often it's cemeteries and and synagogues. That's kind of the irony about Poland is you go to learn about Jewish life by going to the cemeteries. Well, I do think that's, on the one hand, ironic. On the other hand, um, a sort of powerful, potent Zionist metaphor. Unfortunately, or fortunately, or however you want to say it, but it's... Which I'm gonna I'm gonna say that you are for all intents and purposes, and I'm not gonna make you say it. I'm gonna say that you are an expert on education about Polish Jewry, including uh, education about uh, the destruction of the Jews of Europe and, and the Holocaust because of this part of your job, and this you know this is a, something of deep special interest to you. I'm going to refer to you as. Yeah, it is an obsession, and I think that's in a healthy way. I think that when we become obsessed with our curiosity, I think curiosity is a very healthy addiction, and obsessively curious isn't a bad thing if it doesn't, you know, interfere with your 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 life. Right. But I'm gonna I'm going to 
in, uh, even though we're both co-hosts on this show, to a certain extent, I'm going to treat you as an expert on this topic about this new law in Poland and get your reflections and ideas as as an expert. So you're both the host and the guest, I guess, this episode, oddly enough. Okay. <laughs> it's, uh, I'm not, not sure I've ever been called an expert before, but... <laughs> Sorry, I know. That's why I didn't want to make you say it. I will say that the probing will be... Uh, don't worry. Okay, I'm not going to make any probe jokes. That's not appropriate for this podcast. Let's okay. move on. So, <laughs> it's a family show. Yeah. I, have to click, I have to click the clean button when I submit it to uh, iTunes. So, let's just leave it at that. Uh, uh, okay, so can you explain this law? Poland, let me see if I... If I end- I'm not doing the radio lab thing. I'm not pretending I don't know. Poland made a law that, and, and I need some further clarification about how this law works. But the, what I get the gist of it is that it is now illegal in Poland to refer to the Poles as collaborators in the Holocaust. That you have to make distinctions between, um, you, you can't say, for instance, Polish death camps. You can't do things that imply that the Poles are responsible for the Holocaust. Am I right. getting that right? I uh, guess pretty close. The fun, the, again, another irony, irony or whatever you want to say. National, uh, international, International Holocaust Remembrance Day is January 27th. January 26th, the Poles in the lower house of the Sen passed this law. Then it went to the, you know, the day before that. Then it went to the upper house and still actually sitting on the president's desk. Oh, I think he, he, signed signed it. It. he didn't sign it yet. Well, what he did is he did, he did a nice, uh, you know, it's all politics, of course. But he his move was he vowed to sign it, but is sending it to the courts to make sure it's constitutional. Uh-huh. Um, well, what which, is it? Which is leaving an opening that there could be changes. And they're saying it could be changes in, in, in discussions with the Israeli government. So what is it? It is you're, – you're pretty close. Basically what, what the whole By the way, issue, I'm not even opening up the whole question of what International Holocaust Remembrance Day is and where that came from. That came yeah. out of nowhere. Just like the uh, last few years on social media, all of a sudden there's International Holocaust Day and Gal Gadot no, so is the UN. a picture with remembrance. It was at the UN. It's a UN. It was a UN resolution. I grew up my whole life. We never cared about anything like that. I don't know where that – that just came out of nowhere. No, from the UN. It came out of the UN. Okay. It was maybe about ten years ago. It was voted on. Um, it's, and it's the day that the Russians rolled into Auschwitz is when it uh, is fixed. Um, but um, but back to this law, you pretty much have it pretty close. It, it, it's been a sensitive issue in the narrative of of Poland during World War II and the Holocaust. Um, about what the complicity of the Polish people was and the Polish nation. Uh, you know, or the Polish uh, state. Um, and so uh, a number of years ago when President Obama referred to um, the death camps as Polish death camps, they were quite in a tizzy um, because that narrative goes against the entire Polish narrative, which is that it's the Germans who chose Poland to place the death camps there, which is historical fact. And the the Polish government um Poland was the only country occupied, completely occupied during World War II in Europe without any kind of collaborative government. And the government of Poland was in exile in, in Britain. Um, so the law basically is saying that... Well, let's see if I understand that point, and I, I think I do. I'm really trying not to radio lab this. Other governments collaborated with the Nazis. 
for instance, yeah. Hungary or Slovakia. Or Vichy was, France. They, they, Bel- Belgium. So now, I mean, they, they all, now, France and Belgium is not the same level of cooperation as, let's say, Hungary. In other words, correct. there's submission. No, Hungary, Hungary's, Hungary were allies. Hungary, Slovakia were allies. So there's, there's, there's Italy's. collaboration. I don't, maybe that's the wrong word, but it's, there's, there's, there's submission, there's collaboration. And then the Polish are defeated by the Nazis. They're crushed within weeks of the Blitzkrieg, that's actually the first month of World War II. Yes, they're completely occupied by, by, the, by the Germans and then on the other side by the Soviets, actually, in the first two years of the war. So this, uh, issue, so this issue of the Polish, they feel they're being tarred with the same brush as, let's say, Hungary or Slovakia. More. They feel that they're being accused more than, than anybody else. Than the Germans. Than the Germans. Because the killing, because the murderous camps have, were established on Polish soil, they feel they're the ones who are blamed for the Holocaust when it was when they when they were occupied. They not only didn't have, not only didn't they do it, they had nothing to do with it. They were if you ask Poles, you know the Poles narrative. And now we're talking about, especially if you're talking about the Law and Justice Party, which is the right wing nationalist government that's part of all this, is that if you ask how many Poles were murdered by Nazis during World. War two, they will tell you six million. Three million Jewish Poles and three million Poles. Any uh, any any reality to that number? One hundred percent. One hundred percent. That's an accurate number. Yeah, that's an accurate number. And it was about seventeen percent of the Polish Polish thing. The difference is is that there was not a genocide against the Polish people. Many were of course mur- killed in in war and, and, and bombings, and, and many were killed in massacres. There were 3,000 priests who were massacred. Well, there were also but, Poles who were sent to camp for political reasons. or Political reasons, professors, the universities were shut down, professors were incarcerated. Intelligentsia were seen as a threat. political, right. However, the difference is, is what I say, this is the difference is, is that, that there's only one nation that was completely, right, a poll will be, will be tar- often targeted because of... Um, a, a, a position they hold in society, a priest, a journalist, a professor, whereas a Jew was targeted just for having been born a Jew. Only the Jews and the, and the gypsies? And the, not even the gypsies, were, which we don't really say. We don't really use the word gypsy anymore. Gypsy is a derogatory Ro- term. Romani? Roma Sinti. Roma Sinti. Yeah, we, we say Roma Sinti. That, that's their tribes, right? So the Roma Sinti weren't targeted by the Nazis. They, they were targeted, but they were targeted. But up until the Shoah, they were basically the only, the Roman Sinti that were targeted were mostly those that were on lands that the Germans felt were natural German lands that they annexed and things like that. Things that were not that they did not yet consider to be German lands. They were not necessarily um, uh, targeted. Now that may have changed after they finished with the Jews. Now, in, right, they could, right. Now, this is, we're, we're, we're sort of, before we're analyzing the yeah. legal ramifications and what this means for Israeli-Polish relations, so far we're ju- sort of decoding the actual history that underlies beneath it, yeah. trying to separate what are the facts that the narratives are interpreting. When you say, so, so we're going to get to the Israel part, but let's, I don't think we're at the bottom of what are the actual facts of the matter. So, do you so, think? Do you think? Well, now, part of the problem is when we say, "Are the the Poles responsible?" Or, or was Poland responsible? Or were the Polish responsible? If they don't have a government that represents them, 
So now how do you talk about the Polish doing anything? You have, right. you, you have many Polish individuals who might actually collaborate. You have many who might not. So, and that, and that's, 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 the, so there's a couple levels to that also. That's the question, right? That's the question of how much do you, do you say like, okay, that, I mean, that's, that, that's exactly what I'm saying. There wasn't a Polish government. So you can't say the Polish government or the Polish people. You can say individual Poles. So you can say like in Yedavavna, Poles killed, you know, massacred Jews, but you can't say the Polish Nation well, or people or you're not only talking about individuals. You can talk about large numbers. There are there are there are basically there are three Polish undergrounds during the war fighting the Nazis. Yeah. Okay. Some of them actually help Jews. Some of them actually yeah. participate. Well, well, some of them will cooperate with Jewish undergrounds. Yes. Yes. Correct. The Home Army. The Home Home Army, which was the official underground, getting its orders from the government in exile, and the and the Home Army, particularly Jan Karski. Um, is the the famous figure in that went went into places like the Warsaw Ghetto, snuck in there, risking his own life and the Belzec death camp to bring back to 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 give to the Allies what was happening there. He actually went. He left out and went to England to report what was happening. And the Polish government in exile reported about what was happening to the Jews. And were there also anti anti Semitic partisans who uh, who would shoot Jews and who? Who would choose? Look, and you, but here now I'm going to complicate it more. You have in many places, like in the town of Ishbitz or Zbitcha in Polish, right? The Ish, town of Ishbitz. Many will be familiar with it with uh, the Meshiloch, the, the Rebbe, the Meshiloch, or the Meshiloch. That was a town, right, where the fire department, the Polish fire department, helped round up the Jews to send them to Belzic. So is that right? Look, I mean, I'll tell you the truth. When I grew up, and I'll be, I'll be very honest, there are very few people in, that I've ever met in my life who I revere as much as my Bubby. But she used to say really terrible things about the Poles and how she was treated because growing up in Poland, she, in rural Poland, in Muzina, she felt very much that she was discriminated against and treated badly. And she saw her neighbors as people of low quality not that she would treat an individual badly who she like she interacted with polish people she would actually speak to them in polish and enjoyed breaking out her youthful polish but she she walked away and that's sort of i grew up with that sense of i think what those what the polish people feel offended by which is this sense that like oh you know the, the holocaust is because of the poles and the poles are worse to the jews my also my bubby who left in 1923 Hated the poles. She, you know, she. They survived. You know, when never mind World War One was the worst. Her town was decimated, and and she would spit when she talked about the poles. But and she had no idea, like what the heck I was doing going back there. Like the, to her, that was like, right. I would do that. But uh, in big picture history, it is much more complicated than that yeah. picture of Poland that we grew up with. Which yeah. isn't to say, look, there were Polish pogroms before, during, and after World War II. Yeah. So there's plenty of anti-Semitism in the history of Poland. Right. There's also righteous Gentiles in Poland who rescued Jews. Right. The most, and the Poles like to point it out that the most, the most um, uh, righteous among the nations you can find are in Poland. In terms over of 6, numbers. 
in numbers compared to other countries, over 6,000. And is that per capita or is that is no, that 6, a per capita? Total. I understand in total, but does that mean – I mean Poland was a big place with a lot of uh, – About 35 million, you know, about – say let's say about 32 million – about 32 million non-Jews in Poland in the beginning of World War II. Now, why did the Germans decide to put the camps? Oh, in? the amount of per capita? No, I don't. I've never done a thing on that. But they have the most. I'd be curious long- if they were per capita. More yeah, I don't know. Nobody's ever talked about that. that. I wonder. Look, they weren't. Uh, they weren't. Uh, why am I blanking? They weren't. You know, there were countries that really worked to protect the Jews. Whether you have, you know, in Holland, who, who they tried to. Where they smuggled so many Jews out, or well, that was only that was the Danes, you know. But that, but a lot is made of that. But oh, you're only talking about five thousand Danish Jews. I understand, but there were countries that. So what's interesting is those countries. Most of the countries that save, and that's is the you know the interesting thing we saw, like Bulgaria saves their fifty thousand Jews. Yeah, but but they don't protect the five. They don't. I forget the numbers. They don't protect the Jews in Macedonia, who they they took over Macedonia, and they don't protect those Jews from the Nazis because they're not their Jews. Just like France, France protects their Jews, but they don't protect Polish Jews who are living in France. Or you know what I mean? Well, I think that sort of the government seemed to be taking. I think the outlook of those countries was well, they're they're our citizens. I know, but that's so I have to protect them. So look. Right, you're saying even that's complicated. That I shouldn't. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. Like, there is you know, stuff, not, It's not Latvia. You know what I mean? It's not the Ukraine. Like at least yeah. you get credit for saving your citizens. Right. Okay. Because they believe in this idea of citizenship, but they don't believe in saving Jews as a as, as a people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. <clears throat> whatever. But if you go back to the Polish government, so the the narrative that what's really happened in Poland. Well, there is, is no Polish government. In other words. If you had uh, here, here's sort of my question, and I'm and again I'm not so far we're not defending this law or saying it's a good thing. So far, all we're doing or or a bad thing, all we're saying is what are the real facts? Can we get some quick shorthand background, a thumbnail sketch? Right. And my question is this: if if the United States of America, if a democracy uh, perpetrates a war crime, do the citizens have a level of culpability? That wouldn't exist if you lived in a place like, let's say, Syria. In other words, if Bashar al-Assad or Hafez al-Assad or whoever, who as a dictator, you know, gases people. If Saddam Hussein gases yeah, but it's even more. it's even more than that, though. Well, but I'm asking, is it fair to say morally that the people of Iraq, when Saddam Hussein gassed the Kurds, didn't bear as much responsibility as Americans would say because of Abu Ghraib or whatever? I mean, yes, but again, I think you're still being a little bit too black and white. Because? Because, the, the poll, again, I'm not trying to blame on the poll. It, it, it's a given, and this is how any, I think, any respectable Holocaust educator should never say Polish death camps, because that is just wrong. They are not to get death camps on Polish soil. However, it's called, it, they call, it was called Auschwitz, the camp. It wasn't called Auschwitz, which is the Polish name. It was called the German name. Yeah, but that doesn't work for Treblinka, for instance. Which right. That was because that was the annexed Poland. Uh-huh. It was called Auschwitz. They changed the whole name of the town. Right? Well, explain so, the different sections of Poland. There's annex and there's general... General government, which is occupied Poland, and then there's Soviet occupied Poland. So annexed Poland is Western Poland, the Germans. That was the whole excuse of the war, Lebensraum, that they needed room to... 
They needed room to expand Germany to natural German lands, that those were German lands. Those are lands that they've been fighting over for centuries. Um, and so the Germans uh, annexed Western Poland, occupied the middle parts, the parts where really um, a good vast majority of the Jews were, you know, which include Galicia and Warsaw area and those areas. And then the Soviets up until June of 1941, till the Germans invaded Eastern Poland, the Soviets had occupied that part. And that goes down to the narrative. It's really a fight here. And I think this is actually, it's so, it's so relevant to the modern world and modern history and the things we go through in terms of Israel education also. It's the idea of like how you, how you teach narrative or the effects of narrative on history, right? Because up until, up until the fall of the communist you know, Soviet Union, the narrative was the fascists, fascists Germany murdered the communists. The Soviet bloc, let's say, right? Yeah. So that every memorial in Poland that it was officially done by the official Polish government up until the 1990s did not mention Jews. Right. They were communists yeah. who occurred. The fascists murdered the communists. And it doesn't matter that they were Jew, right? In, in places of Holocaust, right? Places that were Jews. Right. You know, it was the it was a fascist. Either they would ignore it or they did that. Then in the 1990s, you know, when 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 the so when the, so after the Soviet Union fell and, and Poland democratized, so there was slowly a, a, an awakening of it. And then you have also the, the, the group starting to come. And there was actually a lot. There's been a tremendous amount of sharing and back and forth between Israel, Jews and Poland in terms of trying to figure all this out. And in 2000, Thomas Gross, a Jew of Polish um, birth, um, who moved to America and as a, uh, a professor last I knew at NYU, but I don't know if he's still there, wrote a book called Neighbors where it exposed a massacre of Jews in a town called Yedavavne. Um, After. That, what? After the war. It, yeah, the, uh, no, during the war. In, in eastern Poland, it was done in 1941 when the Germans came in, but the whole claim there is that the Poles took advantage of the vacuum between the Soviets running away uh-huh. and the Germans basically killing them over to murder the, the Jews of the town. They they collect they put them all into a barn and then the brutal stuff and and then burnt them all in the barn, um, and that just totally blew open the entire discussion of and and still to this day. Uh, really at the heart of this of this matter of how complicit were the polls and and how not um it, to the fact that there's huge arguments over numbers uh, it, it's uh, so for a long time you know in the in the in the in the years where the Polish government, you could say, was more on the liberal side. So, like, the government apologized. They put up official memorials and all this. And in the last two years, two years ago, there was the more nationalist right-wing government was elected, um, the Law and Justice, and there, who's putting forth this law and trying to change the narrative. It's not just this law, many different things um, to uh, about the Holocaust and then the role of Poles and Polish identity and... All that stuff. So, so even when you're looking for hard data and real facts, it's hard because there, because ultimately there's murky uh, evidence, and you have to start estimating, and then that those estimates will be informed yeah. by your narrative. Like uh, the numbers, wild, like very wild, wildly in Yedavavna about how many Jews were actually murdered, from like you know, 
you know, from, from reliable historical sources, even the numbers vary from like 300 to like 15, 1500 or something. Right. Um, so it's all very murky. And how much is it? You know, and, and when the mayor of the town is involved, does that mean that that's representing the, the government, okay. the people or, you know, um, and it wasn't just Yedavavna. There were a number of towns up there. Uh, on the other hand, if the home army is getting instructions from the government in Britain to help the Jews, then what does that mean? So I, I don't see what's wrong with us using moderate language that doesn't speak in sweeping generalities. So, right. I, I in other words, putting the law aside, I, I, like when you're saying a, a good Holocaust education doesn't say Polish death camps, he says Nazi, Nazi death camps in Poland. Yeah. Even though linguistically it's a death camp in Poland, the term Polish death, death camps confuses the matter. Correct. It's accurate, it's factual, but it's confusing to a student because it makes it sound like the Polish the Poles built it, right? So that's true, exactly. So now, so but now my question is, as an educator, and this is what people are most upset about, because apparently there are there are um, caveats for historians, academic research, and art that 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 don't fall under the law, like that. What you could use is that. Why are they still doing this law now? What happened? Well, it was part of the law and justice. I said it came in two years ago, part of their platform and stuff. So just, you know. So it's about I, raising like a sort of hard nationalist self-pride that we yeah. don't allow people to say things about us we don't like. Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. You were saying. So I'm standing at the I'm standing at Mila 18, the Warsaw Ghetto Memorial two days ago, right on Monday. And and, you know, so I'm explaining that the, the Jews trying to get arms they go to the home army and they basically say they give them a little bit of help but a minuscule amount not not anything really major because they're like you're not going to beat the germans and if we give you our arms we're just going to lose them so it's not it's not effective for us so sorry you're on your own right like and the, and the jews are being deported to treblinka i mean that's it like they're, they're all being murdered so am I complicit now in saying that the home army is refusing help that that's where the confusion comes in is what can i say and that I may, I'm going to get in trouble or not. And not just me. That's what people are very nervous about in Poland. You're triple because guessing. Because the law seems to be unclear about what, how far you can go, what you can actually say. Well, it's an impossible law to right. enforce because there's always these, all these shades of gray. And, and, and in general, like, we kind of believe in free speech in demo democratic countries. Well, that's another problem that Poland's having. Look, it's not just in Poland. Well, autocracy is on the rise and freedom is... Diminishing. If you look at the Freedom House website, you can see if you track year by year, uh, civil liberties and freedoms are, are on the decline in a lot of places. Poland's just a particularly bad one in Europe. Uh, and I'll bring up another one which has always bothered me on the other side. There, in lots of countries in Europe, particularly like Germany and others, you cannot – Holocaust denial is, is, uh, is illegal. What about in Israel? I don't know if it's illegal in I Israel. I think it is. Is it? I think there are things like that, yeah, that you're not that are illegal in Israel. So, so I guess, I guess, Listen, if you're saying we're American you're born, that you can what? We were both born in America. We were raised on a different concept of free speech than exists almost anywhere else, where you have the freedom to say horrible, odious things that are against the values of your country, and that's protected by law. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of uh, I don't know. It's all. It's all very murky. So, uh, what do you I, think? Uh, 
what do you think of Israel's response? Or the, what do you think of the Israeli political response is question one. Question two was you were saying something about scholars and artists. Yeah, apparently they are they are um, exempt allowed to they have like freedom of expression in this that they're not they don't fall under the law. It's just educators. I think they're after Supposedly. you, Alan. No, no, not just educators, people, anybody. Like, I think you know. it's you. I think it's you. <laughs> it could be just me. Yeah. They're trying to get me. Yeah. Um, I don't blame I think them. that Israel, look, it, it's clear, I think clearly from both sides it's political. It's being Don't leave too far away from the computer. Cause it's Sorry. Like, yeah. I think it's clearly that they're, that both sides are politicizing this, like to um degrees that they're trying to get mileage out of it. Uh, catering to the more nationalistic voices in the governments, um, you know, because like again, it is nuanced. Like, why is Israel, you know, why, why did Israel politicians jump all over this all of a sudden? Also, you know what I mean? It's not something that they. I mean, I guess they were just passing it in a thing, but it just seems it's it doesn't affect weird. the lives of most Israelis. Yeah, like, and, and again, if you know. It, it, there is ambiguity here and there is what to say, like, OK, we have to be really clear that, you know, there are plenty of polls who are collaborators and this and that. But it, it seems to be blown out way out of proportion to me, because, um, as, as I said, it, it, you know, there, there are certain arguments to be made, like we've made just now about the Polish government being in exile and uh, et cetera. Which I think is a great thing to talk about with students, that, that you have to yeah. that, that you the have more to sophisticated and nuanced you are in understanding history. Uh, the, the, we don't like when people make sweeping statements about us, whoever we are, like in our case with Jews. So, oh, yeah. Jews, look at Madoff. Oh, look, Weinstein. Look, you see what Jews do? What do we get about that? We don't like people when they make sweeping statements about us and how we act with the Palestinians. Right. So, you know, so we like people to get it right. We want people to get it right. Come on, there's nuance here. You have to be able to. Yes, it is true that Palestinians suffer, but we should be able to talk about it with nuance and sophistication, and not make right. sweeping generalizations. I agree. So, so the I same agree. Thing, so that's the, the way we should. Can I ask you a stupid question? And How do they plan? I, I mean, does I understand that that's most of my questions, but here's another one. <laughs> uh, uh, how do they plan on enforcing this? Like if you're, give, thing, if, if you're speaking, if you're speaking in Warsaw, and a cop walks by and hears you, or somebody reports you, or or I, I mean, I think a lot of this is going about things like Thomas Gross against people like Thomas Gross. Like I, I'm not so sure he can go to Poland today. I mean, I think for already, like the last day, it's a very controversial figure. But he's a scholar. Yeah, but you know, you write a book. I know that's the question. Like how far? You know, you write an article. What is determined as a scholar? You write an article in a magazine or a journalist, a journalist. writes. Uh-huh. I, I met a woman, a woman came to speak to our group in a town called Sokolov. She was, uh, um, uh, she works basically, an amazing woman. She just got this like love of, of cataloging and categorizing um, Jewish history in her town because she realized like, wait, the Jews used to be here and now they're not. And she teaches kids in the town about the Jewish community that was there. And so, so I asked her about it. She was like, yeah, it's very unsettling because you don't know what you can say. She's a journalist. She also works actually in the Yiddish theater in Warsaw. But she says it's very unsettling because you don't know what you can say and what you can't say. Um, and that, that I think, is, the, you know, is the, really the crux of it. So like how the, do you – So on the one hand, you have the government of Poland and to a certain extent in response, the government of Israel. 
issuing what sounds to me now then as a bunch of sound and fury signifying nothing, just trying yeah. to score points with their constituents by being, you know, by expressing national pride in a sort of, I don't know, odd way. But really yeah. underneath, there are lessons to be learned here about yeah. speaking with nuance and sophistication and being that, that, that specificity and accuracy and factual, uh, uh, you know, yeah. fidelity are an important, are important to, for intelligent people. And I guess, like, I think the deeper question in some ways is how, how do you, how do you educate about national narrative in a, in a healthy way, as opposed to politicizing and, you know, indoctrinating? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause that, that's really what's going on here. Like you don't like the way it, it, Poland has been presented. I understand that. Well, why, like, why not like use a huge, massive, uh, you know, educational uh, campaign. Well, I don't know that governments are cut out to do that. They're cut well, out they to make it force love. Governments in charge of education, yeah. right? Well, I mean, in a good relationship with Israel, they could, you know, the Polish government could ask Israeli educators to please educate students well. We want to have a better relationship. Can you make sure that in your Holocaust curricula, Poland is reflected accurately? We're not going to yeah. tell you how to do it. But if you Israeli teacher, you know, if you could put into the curriculum things that make it clear that it's complicated, we'd appreciate it. Well, and then Israel I, could say in return, okay, and when you guys teach about the West Bank, can you also make sure that your teachers are teaching, your social studies teachers are teaching that it's complicated? Um, by the way, we're talking about the Holocaust even. I mean, I've noticed in my years, I've been going to Poland now close to 20 years. And the narrative, like, first of all, when I first started going, there were no Hebrew signs in any of these places. Jews were often not mentioned in any of the stories, this and that. And that has changed dramatically. The most obvious place it's changed is Auschwitz, at the Auschwitz State Memorial. How so? It was on the camps of the Auschwitz ground. The, the, the guides today are so much more sensitive. They, get, they used to just give basically what, we're call, what we would call that classic Polish narrative that we're talking about. Um, you know, it was a, it was against the Polish people and there happened to be Jews. And now they give a much more um, broad understanding. Look, you can say what you want. Yes. Something like 100,000 people were murdered in, in the gas chambers in Auschwitz who weren't Jewish. But a million were Jewish. <laughs> they were they were made for right, Jews. 90 percent are for Jews. You know what I mean? Right. So like so to talk about, you know, lots of people were murdered in the gas chambers and Jews is not is not a is not an accurate narrative, well, and that like, is, like and that last year's like last year's U.S. State Department Holocaust Remembrance Statement. Yeah, exactly. That was so weird, absolutely weird. But now, but you don't hear that often. You won't. I've then heard it from guides like that in in a number of years. Guides will say very clearly, you know, the Holocaust was, you know, and the the Gazers, the Jews and the Nazis were murdering, massacring many, many others in Europe and incarcerating. A, a Pole could be walking down the street, a Ukrainian, and be picked up and sent to a labor camp in, you know, anywhere in Europe, that, those kinds of things. So, I, you know, um, uh, I would say that, 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 that you have to give that to them also, that um, uh, it, it has changed. Are, are and proven. I think that that's education. That has changed through education. That's the way you have to do it. This politis politicization of it is... Is awful, and maybe the last thing we'll throw out there because I know the time's running out is is that it's become a major tourist industry, and not you know just not free in, in Poland. 
2017, over 2 million people visited Auschwitz, let alone, you know. So it's become a major tourist industry. Well, that's weird. It's weird. We live in a weird world, man. When you <laughs> see people, honest to God, when you're walking around Auschwitz, you see tourists with, like, cameras and, like, wearing, like, tank tops and shorts and chewing gum, and you're like, why are and you little, here? With little kids and pushing strollers. and Stopping I mean, at the I kid shop. you not. Some, I kid you not. And some of these were disturbed by it. Just now, we had snow in Auschwitz. And some guy was, like, at, like playing in the snow with his, with his kid. You know, a little kid, like three years old. Two, three years old. Which, yeah, what, yeah. Right outside, you know, right out, like, you're in Auschwitz, you're just waiting to go in the official part. Anyway, whatever. It's all, it's all very bizarre. And, you know, how we try and teach and understand and nuanced. Because the world, the world it, 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 any issue, the world is complicated. There is no real black and white. And so we should, however, this political brouhaha, my guess is it'll be forgotten within a pretty short amount of time. I don't think yeah. this is a serious issue, but it is on people's think, minds now. And I think, I think the less serving the needs of the politicians, not the people. You're right, and but there are there is a need for people to learn to speak with more, not only sensitivity and respect, but accuracy, and and uh, honesty and clarity, and reflecting the complexity that that real human stories have. On all sides. On all sides, we have to practice what we preach and be better people. And hopefully this will just be, you know, an educational opportunity for us to espouse this idea. I have no idea what I'm going to name this episode. Uh, nuanced narrative, not the Palestinians. <laughs> uh, all right. Not the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Nuanced narratives and not the Palestinian conflict. And we're not talking about Israel and the Palestinians. Why Naftali Bennett can't visit Poland this week? They canceled yeah. his trip. You know when you'll know you'll when you'll know that it's actually really something serious is when they cancel all the Misrata Chinuch trips. The education to ministry to Poland, yeah. Yeah, until then it's just uh, silliness. Yeah. All right, man, get some sleep. All right, thanks. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Great. Okay, bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Jerusalem U Podcast, The Teacher's Lounge. Teacher's Lounge is produced by Matthew Lippman. You can subscribe to our podcast pretty much anywhere where you can find any podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, etc. And we'd really appreciate if you would give us feedback and ratings in those places and recommend it to your friends. Thanks. Bye-bye.